Chapter Ten of the Women Who Make Our Novels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Women Who Make Our Novels by Grant Overton. Chapter Ten. Kate Douglas Wiggin. Once Kate Douglas Wiggin, at a fair held in the grounds of Lord Darnley in County Meath, Ireland, visited a crystal gazer imported from dublin for the occasion you have many children said the seer i have no children mrs wiggin replied but i see them they are coming still coming oh so many little ones they are clinging to you you are surrounded by them the woman declared her eyes on the ball they are children of a relative no i cannot understand i see them they left her puzzled and frowning. Perhaps she never will know how wonderfully right was her vision. Little lame Patsy and the angelic Carol, the mirth-provoking tribe of the Ruggleses, brave Timothy and bewitching Lady Gay, pathetic Marm Lisa and the incorrigible twins Atlantic and Pacific Simonson, blithe Polly Oliver with her genius for storytelling, winsome Rebecca and the faithful Emma Jane, all these figures crowd about us and claim their places as everybody's children it is impossible to read kate douglas wiggin think of her or write about her without emotion the kind of emotion that is good to feel the world is a brighter world because she has lived in it a better world because she has written for it does this sound horribly trite nothing is trite which is deeply felt and words though they may indicate the channel can with difficulty measure the depth or gauge the emotional flow. You who have lost your enthusiasm with your illusions, you whose channels of feeling have trickled dry, you who live in a desert whose aridity responds only to intellectual dry farming, keep off this chapter. But all of you millions who love children, who like simple and durable humor, who are not too far from laughter or tears, who are not ashamed of tenderness, do you one and all there are countless millions of you stay with us for a half hour kate douglas wiggin born a smith came of new england stock that bred teachers and preachers and lawgivers and developed those humane traits which make charitable effort and philanthropism a matter of course like prayer or the pie which emerson preferred for breakfast she happens to have been born in philadelphia september twenty eighth eighteen fifty nine the daughter of Robert N. Smith and Helen E. Dyer Smith, but all her youth was spent east of the New York line. A rural childhood, then the fine old school for girls called Abbott Academy at Andover, Massachusetts. At eighteen, her stepfather's health made imperative a removal to California. After her graduation at Andover, Kate Smith joined the family in Santa Barbara. She had been trained to teach children, she was a mere girl when she was called to direct the famous Silver Street Kindergartens of San Francisco. Through her efforts it was that the first three kindergartens for poor children were organized in California. She knew the methods of Froebel, and has done as much as anyone in this country to secure their spread and adoption. First as a kindergartner and then as a training teacher, her enthusiasm, her gift for leadership, her personal charm, made others young and old her devoted friends 
for the babies of Tar Flat and the Barbary Coast, and for the young women of cultivation who sought to become teachers, she had the same fascination. She is irresistible. If she were not, she could not be liked and loved in New England as she is at this day. Who else could gather the neighbors in old Buxton meeting-house to hear, read aloud to them by the author from the manuscript, stories of themselves and their apparently unremarkable doings? With any one but Mrs. Wigan, the audience would be self-conscious, detestably uncomfortable. But she is so soft-voiced, so agreeable. She has so much sympathy and humor, is so pleasant to look upon, is, in short, so nice and so neighborly, that self-consciousness is out of the question. Besides, you can be proud of her, and you are. Old Buxton Meeting House is in Maine, and it is in Maine, in the village of Hollis, that the people of whom Mrs. Wiggin writes grow into being. Her home is called Quillcote, and from a cool green study where she works, she can hear the song of the Seiko River, and look through latticed windows by her desk to where the shining weather vane, a golden quill, swings on the roof of the old barn. It is a quaint and ancient dwelling of colonial date and colonial style, set among arching elms. The village is not a summer resort, but a dreaming settlement on the banks of the Seiko. As it flows past the Quillcoat elms, the river widens into a lake. A few rods below the house it has a fall. Below the fall, for a mile or so, there is foaming, curving, prancing white water. This is the Seiko, placid and turbulent, which runs through Timothy's Quest, and Rebecca, and Rosa the River. Quillcote's important structure, like the home of H. G. Wells's Mr. Britling, is the barn. We can believe that the builder would not recognize it, aside from the weather vane. It is what, in the jargon of the day, is known as a community centre. Years ago all the interior was ripped out. A new floor was laid, casement windows were cut in, and the place took on the semblance of a rustic hall. Alone untampered with, the great century-old rafters, hewn of stout-hearted oak and strong as ever, remain in position. The barn walls are brushed down but left their hue of tawny brown. Other old barns were stripped to supply fish-hook hinges, suitably antique, ancient latches, decorative horns of the moose. Solid settles were constructed of old boards weathered to a silver-gray. Old lanterns fitted with candles were hung from harness-pegs about the walls. The old grain-chest, piled high with cushions, stands at one end of the big oblong room. Wide doors open at the back into a field of buttercups and daisies. They still dance the square dances on the threshing floor. Biography is pointless if it does not build us a picture. And once we have our picture, who cares for dates and a chronicle of the years? In The Girl in New England, The Young Woman Kindergartner in San Francisco, The Visitor to Ireland, and England and Scotland, The Writer Reading from Her Manuscript in Old Buxton Meeting House, The Festival Bringer of the Quillcote Barn, you have Kate Douglas Wiggin, born a smith. You have very completely and with a delightful authenticity the creator of all those hosts of happy children, children sometimes sad, sometimes grieved, but always as certain of happiness as they are of sunshine. You have the Penelope who found the humors of foreign travel, which more pretentious humorists coming later would merely copy. You have the perceptive and sympathetic heart 
which saw the Christmas romance of the old Peabody pew. You ask no more. You ask only to be allowed to recall with a changing but invariable pleasure the dozens of tales in which she has shared with you her feelings about life. Do you remember the Penelope books? Do you remember? Somehow Penelope's progress, wherein we accompany Salamina, Francesca, and Penelope through Scotland, has always seemed a bit of the best. Page two, please. Quote, on arriving in New York, Francesca discovered that the young lawyer whom for six months she had been advising to marry somebody, quote, more worthy than herself, end quote, was at last about to do it. This was somewhat in the nature of a shock, for Francesca had been in the habit, ever since she was seventeen, of giving her lovers similar advice, and up to this time no one of them has ever taken it. She therefore has had the not unnatural hope, I think, of organizing at one time or another all those disappointed and faithful swains into a celibate brotherhood, and perhaps of driving by the interesting monastery with her husband, and calling his attention modestly to the fact that these poor monks were filling their barren lives with deeds of piety, trying to remember their creator with such assiduity that they might in time forget her. End quote. Frank Stockton should be as funny as that. Mark Twain might have written the close of the first chapter, where Francesca and Penelope, heads bent over a genealogical table of the English kings, try to decide whether B. 1665 means born or beheaded. Irvin Cobb, shaking our sides with his discussion of English pronunciation of proper names, and gravely referring to a Norwegian fjord, quote, pronounced by the English Ferguson, end quote, was anticipated by nearly twenty years when Mrs. Wigan wrote, quote, On the ground floor are the Mrs. Hepburnsians, pronounced Hepburnsheens. On the floor above us are Miss Clowan, Cohoon, and her cousin Miss Cockburn Sinclair, Coburn Sinclair. As soon as the Hepburnsianists depart, Mrs. McCollop expects Mrs. Menziers of Kilquonquar, of whom we shall speak as Mrs. Minjes of Kinyukar. Marm Lisa is graced with the presence of S. Cora Grubb, as well as the youthful Atlantic and Pacific Simonson. Have we not yet with us such places as Mrs. Grubb's Unity Hall, the meeting place of the Order of Present Perfection? We have. On the wall was, quote, an ingenious pictorial representation of the fifty largest cities of the world, with the successful establishment of various regenerating ideas indicated by colored discs of paper neatly pasted on the surface. End quote. Blue was for temperance, green for the single tax, orange cremation, red abolition of war, purple vegetarianism, yellow hypnotism, black dress reform, blush rose social purity, silver theosophy, magenta religious liberty, and, somewhat inappropriately, crushed strawberry denoted that in this spot the emancipation of women had made a forward stride. It was left for a small gold star to signify the progress of the Eldorado face powder, as Cora Grubb's sole agent. The cat Zekiel in the old Peabody pew, quote, Zekiel had lost his tail in a mowing machine, Zekiel had the asthma, and the immersion of his nose in milk made him sneeze, so that he was wont to slip his paw in and out of the dish and lick it patiently for five minutes together. 
Nancy often watched him pityingly, giving him kind and gentle words to sustain his fainting spirit, but to-night she paid no heed to him, although he sneezed violently to attract her attention. End quote. The sensation when, after the ringing of the last bell, Nancy Wentworth walked up the aisle on Justin Peabody's arm, is conveyed by some parentheses of the comment later in the day. The two had taken their seats side by side in the old family pew. Quote, and considerable close, too, though there was plenty of room. And no one that I ever heard of so much as suspicion that they had ever kept company. And do you suppose she knew Justin was expected back when she scrubbed his pew a Friday? And this explains the empty pulpit vases. And I always said that Nancy could make a real handsome couple if she ever got anybody to couple with. End quote. The boastful old man, Turrible Wiley, in Rose of the River, quote, I remember once I was smoking my pipe when a jam broke over me. Twas a small jam, or what we call a small jam on the Kennebec, only about three hundred thousand pine logs. The first thing I knowed I was shootin' back and forth in the bilin' foam, hangin' on to the end of the log like a spider. My hands was clasped round the log, and I never lost control of my pipe. They said I smoked right along, just as cool and placid as a pond lily. "'Why'd you quit drivin?' inquired Ivory. "'My strength wa'n't equal to it,' Mr. Wiley responded sadly. "'I was all skin, bones, and nerve. I've tried all kinds of labor. Some of em don't suit my liver, some disagrees with my stomach, and the rest of em has vibrations.'" In January 1911, over two million copies of Mrs. Wiggins' books had been sold. Today the total is probably approaching three million. The most popular of her books is Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, which has been likened, in explanation of its popularity, to Little Women. But no explanation is necessary. Rebecca is entirely, naturally human. Whether she is perplexing her aunts, or telling Miss Dearborn that she can't write about nature and slavery, having really nothing to say about either, whether she is making her report on the missionaries' children, quote, all born under Syrian skies, end quote, or eyeing Emma Jane with original ideas, or helping the Simpsons, with the aid of Mr. Aladdin, to acquire a wonderful lamp, at all times, at every moment, Rebecca Rowena Randall reminds us of the youngsters we have known, and perhaps a little, of the youngsters we were once ourselves. The triumph of naturalness, the perfect fidelity to the life of the child, these explain Rebecca and Rebecca's success, signalized less in the selling of hundreds of thousands of copies, in the acting of the play made from the book for months and months and months, than in the joyous recognition with which Mrs. Wiggins' heroine was greeted. Rebecca inditing the couplet, When joy and duty clash, let duty go to smash. Rebecca playing on the tinkling old piano, wild-roved an Indian girl, bright alfarada. Rebecca doing this, thinking that, saying the thing that needs to be said, generous, romantic, resourceful, and brighter than her surroundings, is a person it does us all good to know. Copies of the book in libraries are read to shreds. The world, which can see through any sham, loves this story. The world is right. To learn, in the words of one of Conrad's heroes, to live, to love, and to put your trust in life, is all that matters. 
Mrs. Wiggin shows us how. Books by Kate Douglas Wiggin. The Bird's Christmas Carol, 1886. The Story of Patsy, 1889. A Summer in a Canyon, 1889. Timothy's Quest, 1890. The Story Hour, 1890, with Nora A. Smith, her sister. Children's Rights, 1892, with Nora A. Smith. A Cathedral Courtship and Penelope's English Experiences, 1893. Polly Oliver's Problem, 1893. The Village Watchtower, 1895. Froebel's Gifts, 1895, with Nora A. Smith. Froebel's Occupations, 1896, with Nora A. Smith. Kindergarten Principles and Practice, 1896, with Nora A. Smith. Marm Lisa, 1896. Nine Love Songs and a Carol, 1896. Music by Mrs. Wiggin to words by Herrick, Sill, and others. Penelope's Progress, 1898. Penelope's Scottish Experiences, 1900. Penelope's Irish Experiences, 1901. The Diary of a Goose Girl, 1902. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, 1903. The Affair at the Inn, 1904, with Mary and Jane Finelater and Alan Macaulay. Rose of the River, 1905. New Chronicles of Rebecca, 1907. Finding a Home, 1907. The Flag Raising, 1907. The Old Peabody Pew, 1907. Susanna and Sue, 1909. Robinetta, 1911, with Mary and Jane Finelater and Alan Macaulay. Mother Carey's Chickens, 1911. A Child's Journey with Dickens, 1912. The Story of Waitstill Baxter, 1913. Penelope's Postscripts, 1915. The Romance of a Christmas Card, 1916. Golden Numbers, 1917. The Posy Ring, 1917. Published by Houghton Mifflin Company, Boston. End of Chapter 10